Welcome to the Jerusalem Lights Podcast with Rabbi Chaim Richman, whose goal is Torah for everyone. I'm your co-host, Jim Long, and now, Rabbi Chaim Richman. Shalom Aleichem, Jim, and all our wonderful listeners. Shalom, Rabbi. Been a busy week, and I'm sure it's been busy for you, right? A lot of, lot of stuff going on with... Absolutely. Where we start. Absolutely. Yeah. But anyway, go ahead. I'll, I'll give you the floor. You'll give me the floor. I guess. Well, and, while, and while you're at it, no, I was going to do a bad Groucho joke. You know, we're, we're uh, reading these Torah portions about the whole Egyptian experience. And it's so, it's so um, central as a theme to the Jewish experience. And I think really to the universal experience of knowing Hashem. And there's something that's very timeless also about these lessons. It's like, you know, we, we mentioned the Egyptian experience so many times. Every day we mention the Egyptian experience in our in our prayer service. You know, that we go over the verses that Hashem uh, reminds us that we have to remind ourselves that He took us out of out of Egypt, and Torah repeats it so many times. You know that we were slaves in Egypt and Hashem took us out. So I, I what I'm trying to say is. You know, it's clear that this is not ancient history. Of course, that's always the, the situation of Torah because it's not a history book. But I mean, it, this is not again. It's not just that that ancient Egyptian motif. It's it's a it's a whole uh, reverberating thing that's going on all the time. And I'll show you what I mean. It's like it's like you know, there's an ancient. Um, discussion amongst our sages. It sounds, mm-hmm. and we may have mentioned this. It sounds, it sounds rather whimsical, but they the, they say they compare Pharaoh to the Yitzhara, right? Yeah. They compare Pharaoh to the Yitzhara, and they talk about how their how their methodology is the same, and and they say, well, who's who's older, Pharaoh or the Yitzhara, the evil inclination, and who learned from who? Who learned from who? And what are they what are they talking about? The sages when they make this classic uh, Torah lesson comparing every person's evil inclination with the Egyptian Pharaoh, they're talking about all of the things that Pharaoh employed in his uh, subjugation of and his control of Israel. They're talking about the methodology that he, that he employed, meaning the power of fear, the power of Imagination. In, fa- in fact, there's a, a mystical teaching that Paro, which is of course spelled Pei, Rish, Ayin, Hey, spells out the the. Uh, is a, it contains the same letters in a different form of the word Ha'orif, which basically means like the nape of the neck, mm. and it has to do with the fact that you know you can't see the back of your own head, you know, and it's the idea that is that is that Pharaoh <clears throat> very much uh, utilized the power of dread the power of imagination it's it's a it's also synonymous in many in many classic torah texts texts and lessons with <clears throat> with the the toolkit of the itzahara is to make a person anxiety ridden about the future and <clears throat> and for a person's imagination to take hold of themselves imagination is a wonderful thing on the one hand when it can be used creatively as a, as a, as an artistic tool and as, a, and as something that powers us to want to go into, into the future and, 
to do and to accomplish in our lives, but imagination can also be crippling, right? And that's the idea of Pharaoh's. Pharaoh's um, grip over the children of Israel. Uh, we, <clears throat> we learned about, you know, how in the very first Torah portion of this book of Exodus, you know, Pharaoh said, you know, don't listen to, don't listen to false, uh, you know, false hopes. You know, don't listen to, you know, the verse where, where he said, like, don't listen to words of falsehood, right? That's fake news. That, that's what Moshe is telling you, that there's, that there's a God that is, gonna, that is going to take you out of Egypt. That's fake news, right? And so, so all these things, you know, the control, the fake news, the power of fear, the power of, of, of utilizing the imagination, this every person has to deal with all the time. And this is basically like the, like the, um, the symbol of, 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 the, of the root of all of it is, is, is Pharaoh. And that's what they mean, the sages, when they talk about, well, who's who here? Who's, who's first, the Yitzhar or, or Pharaoh? And the whole concept of keeping people busy all the time. And we explained about how they were, they were given this work. They were given this work to build these storage cities and that, the, and that they would self-destruct at the end of every day giving the people a feeling of total uselessness and total, uh, uh, you know, ho hopelessness because they're working so hard, they're backbreaking labor and it's going for, it's going for naught. And, you know, the whole idea of, of running and running and running in place and exploiting a person's fears and, and instilling slave mentality. And so, so I'm saying these things, Jim, are, are a timeless template. The Torah is not wasting our time with anecdotes the reason why the, the symbology and the iconography of the Egyptian experience are so important and why we repeat it so many times every day and, and, and why it's actually a positive commandment to remember the going out of Egypt every single day of our lives. It's because, Jim, the same thing is going on today, it seems to me. Because we have these powers that be that are, um, you know, uh, <clears throat> their goal is this dystopian world. They control the narrative through the press. Right? The, what is it called? The fourth, um, the fourth, uh, the fourth, estate. the fourth estate, fourth estate, yeah. right? Which is controlling the narrative, and the press today is. And I, you speak to more and more people who are waking up and who are, thank God, have a little bit of normalcy left and they're saying i'm not reading the, the news anymore i'm not listening to anything because it's all you, you see that they've got a, a a um consolidated take on everything all over the world it's about controlling the narrative it's about instilling fear and more than that it's about instilling hopelessness and it's in, about instilling sheep mentality slave mentality and, and i'll go for, and i can go on and on but it's like why is it that for years now, the most popular, one of the most popular genres in, in air quotes, entertainment is disaster, disaster movies, not just disaster, but apocalypse, but the end of the world. Mm -hmm. And they don't have a good ending. All these movies don't look up all these movies, these horrible, horrible Netflix. Don't get me started on Netflix, which I think is honestly out to destroy the world. And I think it's succeeding to some extent with, with destroying children, destroying adults. Netflix is horrific. But the point is all the movies that are, that are, that, that take people, you know, and, and, and they don't have, used to be when we were growing up, movies had good endings. Movies, movies had good endings. Now in these movies about the end of the world, the world ends. 
except maybe for a few elite people who managed to go off into space to, to make a, a new world for themselves. That rings terribly true about how can we have all these billionaires who all of a sudden their biggest hobby is to build rockets and to go out into space? I don't know. But anyway, the point is on, on a deeper dystopian uh, level, um, there's this horrific thought that someone was sharing with me about how if, if people in power actually believe in collective consciousness, they want everybody to watch these movies because they think that everybody's going to make it happen by focusing on all of this bleak, this bleak uh, hopelessness and all of this, all of these end of the world scenarios, the sun is getting too hot or there's another ice age or there's going to be an asteroid. They're all the same. It's boring already. The, The same asteroids, the same disasters. They're all absolutely the a total antithesis of the Torah's message. The Torah's message is yesh bore olam. There is a creator, and that is all there is to be. If there is a creator. Doesn't mean oh, I'm religious. I do rituals. I light candles. I pray. I have a hobby. I believe in God. No, it means that is all there is. Our whole life, our whole life as people who believe in Hashem, as people who are connected to the Torah, whether we are Jews or we are Noahides, whoever we are, Gentiles who love Hashem. It's all about realizing, and it's a, it's a life's work. It's a life project to understand what Torah's message is, that there's a God, there's nothing else. And that's the beauty. And we spoke about this several several weeks ago in, in one of the, the, the Parsha videos about the name of, the, of, of Havaya, that, that Hashem's name of the four letters is the name of existence, meaning that it shows that Hashem is the source of constantly bringing forth existence as we speak at every moment. And that changes one's conception of God because God is not an old man with a white beard that you have to genuflect in front of. God is the living reality of of everything. And he created us for a purpose. And the purpose is to know who he is. And that's something that I want to talk about because that's something that is emphasized over and over in this Torah portion so that you will know that I am God. But I'm just saying what has come down to today, and I'll finish, I know you want to talk I'm saying what has come down to today, in my opinion, and this is just pers- this is just embodied by these Torah portions. That's why I'm I'm starting today's show by talking about the idea that these lessons are timeless. It's basically once again, it's the it's the pharaohs of the world against Hashem, and it's the pharaohs of the world saying, "I don't know who He is. I don't know who He is. I don't know Him," and. Uh, don't be, don't listen to false news. Don't listen yeah. to to words of falseness. And they want us all basically to be to be their slaves. It's all yeah. about fear. It's all about control. It's whoever controls the narrative is controlling how you think. And this is the problem with with the the media today that they've got everybody in their stranglehold and everybody's thinking things that are not true. We don't have to go too far to connect the dots when we talk about Pharaoh. And, and Moses, you know, this confrontation between these two dramatic figures. I mean, Pharaoh even wears a serpent on his headdress. It's called Uraeus. And who was the original serpent who was casting doubt and causing and, and trying to, to cause fear? And was we go right back to the garden, right? All the way back to the garden when, when the serpent says, hath God really said? And so we're seeing that come back again as we are struggling. The whole uh, struggle of humanity has always been to, you know, to quote Joni, to get us back to the garden. I mean, that's, that's the whole thing. And so 
uh, we're, we're seeing this, this, I don't know that people realize when they're reading in the Parsha, when Moses goes to Pharaoh, this is a, they're, they're, they're on the prep, precipice of a world-changing event. The world is about to be shaken up. You know, we, you know, we called last week's uh, program, you know, shake it up. And, and this, is, this is what's happening as we, as we enter into the Parsha of Bo. We're getting ready for the last three plagues and the departure from Egypt. And this is the departure from doubt and a departure from fear. And this is, if we want to see how to prevent this, we have, to, we have to have our eyes and ears open and realize, and I think most of our, our listeners have pretty well made up their mind that I think we know who the bad guys are, just to, to boil it down to its essence. <laughs> so speaking of Pharaoh, yeah. and speaking of, of controlling the narrative, instilling fear and, and control, I understand that, that Jack Dorsey kicked you out of Twitter. Well, no, Jack is gone now, I think. Isn't, isn't oh, there Jack a new, is gone? Yeah, I think there's a new head of Twitter. But yeah, I have two Twitter accounts. This is so amazing to me. One of them is for my studio, you know, Lightcatcher. And it's basically I post things about what we're doing or what, what things are happening in the industry. And the other one is my personal account, which, which has the title Noah at, at the beginning of it. But I, I, and I'm not very active, but I logged on this past week. And suddenly I didn't have a personal Twitter account anymore. And I was, what's the word deplatformed? I, whatever they want to. And you, when you, I mean, the name, I couldn't even log in. I was non-existent according to Twitter now, according to my personal account. And when you, when you go to, to read what you can be taken off of Twitter for it it can be a myriad of things, everything from they, they think you use violent language or you you broke the community rules. But, of course, they make the rules. So, you know, you can it's up. To, I don't know what I I don't know what I I told uh, some of my friends. I think I might have said something that was too, that was considered too pro-Israel because I'm Gosh. always posting very pro-Israel comments on on my former Twitter account. So I've been deplatformed. Well, that, been... that will teach you, Jim. That will teach you. That, that's right. That, that's not, that doesn't uh, go in, the, in this world today yeah. that we have. You can't do that. You can't do that. But as I pointed out to people, look, they, and I think we lose sight of this sometimes, Twitter needs us worse than we need Twitter because we are their, we're their assets. If they don't have followers, if they don't have people using the account, Twitter doesn't have anything. Their devaluation drops. And uh, I think you heard this past week. There's a there's a big sort of contratum going on right now because uh, Joe Rogan, one of the more high profile uh, Twitter users, uh, he left Twitter and he started he's gone to another new platform that is supposed to uh, be a little more open minded. It's called Getter. And for the very same reason, because someone uh on Twitter made uh, someone actually, oh, it was a, one of our Republican senators actually quoted the CDC. She, she quoted the, the Center for Disease Control's, their own information, and they, they, they deplatformed her and said she was spreading false information. When she was repeating the information <sighs> that the government is, one of their agencies is spreading. 
this is what what Pharaoh was saying to Moshe uh, that uh, he was spreading false information when he said when uh, when he was uh, talking about uh, the children of Israel going out. Yeah, he, he asked for three days chapter, to go to go into the wilderness. Chapter, yeah, back in back in the end, uh, towards the end of chapter of uh, of the parsha of Shemot in chapter five, he says, um, "But the quarter of bricks that they were making yesterday and before yesterday shall impose upon them. Do not reduce it, for they are lazy. Therefore, they cry out, saying, let us go and bring offerings to our God. Let the work be heavier upon the men, and let them engage in it, and let them not pay attention to false words.'" Sounds familiar. Listen, let's give some um, <clears throat> real information now. Could we give some 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 true information and not Please. some false information? Please. All right. Um, I want to talk for a few minutes about the plagues because the last three plagues are in our um, Torah portion this week of Parshat Bo, beginning in chapter 10 of the book of Exodus. I'd, I'd like to make a little bit of order here because... Um, they, they, what is their function exactly? What, what, what are the plagues really all about? And you know, it's interesting. There's a, an ancient way of dividing up the 10 plagues <clears throat> that we mentioned in the Haggadah. It actually comes from a very ancient source, a Brita, where Rabbi Yehuda taught uh, to group them into three groups. And he referred to them by their, by their initial, Ditzach, Hadash, Be'achav. He took the letters that spell out the names of, <clears throat> of the plagues, and he put them into three groups. And that's, this actually is, uh, is, an, is also an, an ancient uh, type of, um, of Torah interpretation, uh, like these groups of three. And, and then, so it, it turns out here with this grouping uh, th that our Talmudical sages make of, of grouping the plagues into three groups of three. So there's three groups of three, and then there's the 10th which of course, you know, uh, stands for completion. Um, the 10th is completely different also. The 10th plague is completely different. But, but the thing is, this grouping is not only technical, but it also, there is, there is a major difference between each group, which is, which is quite um, interesting. So the first thing that I want to ask you is, you know, what, what were they really all about? What, was, what do they have in common and what was their purpose really because they weren't only designed for God's revenge, you know, that's, that's not it. Um, they actually have three purposes that we, that we can um, discern when we look at the verses very carefully in, in uh, the previous uh, two portions. And in our portion now, we see that there are actually three purposes for the plagues that Hashem brought on, on Egypt. And again, in, in our Torah portion this week, we, we begin with uh, the eighth plague of, of locusts, and then we go on to darkness and finally to the killing of the firstborn. So first of all, the um, one, one aspect, one, one uh, explanation, if you would, of the, of the purpose of the plagues is the idea of midah keneged midah. Right. Which is a very, very famous idea, um, measure for measure. Measure for measure is is a description of Hashem's method of judgment that the sages speak about a great deal that we find many, many examples of in, in Torah that, that Hashem punishes through the very 
uh, medium, if you would, that the person sinned with, it's, it's kind of like reciprocity. It's the whole idea of, of, of reciprocity, meaning that, that A, uh, A equals A, not A equals B. So what do I mean here by measure for measure is that each one of these plagues corresponded to something that the, that the Egyptians did to Israel. For example, they threw, the, they threw the, the, the Jewish boys into the river. So the river was, was hit. Each, each thing, even the frogs that you, that you talked about last week, which was so interesting, you mentioned how the frogs made a lot of noise. Yeah. Um, and uh, the, the truth is that the Midrash talks about how that was um, actually measure for measure because the Egyptians used to, used to wake up the Jews in the middle of the night with a lot of noise just to torture them because yeah. like they were completely broken. They would come from the fields like, where they would be working so hard all day long and then they would collapse and then the Egyptians would come and, and do all sorts of noises to wake them up. And then the, the noise of the frogs uh, drove, them, drove them crazy. By the way, it's interesting that when Moshe... Uh, and when, when, when Pharaoh asked, to, asked Moshe to entreat about the, uh, the frogs, that's the only time that when, when, he, when he leaves his presence and he goes to pray to Hashem about the frogs, there the verse says that Moshe cried out. It's the only time that it, that it describes his prayer as crying out to Hashem. It says, Vayizak. He mm-hmm. cried out about the, about the frogs. Why? It's interesting because there's a halacha, there is a, a, a law that when a person prays, you have to pray loud enough so that you can hear your own words. Right. No one else has to hear, but you have to be able to pray or hear your own words. And of course, Moshe couldn't hear himself over the done of the frogs. So there specifically, the verse says that he cried out because he had to raise his voice above the sound of the frogs. So the point being that each one of the of the uh, plagues that Hashem brought on the Egyptians was an aspect Again, it's not. We're going to see in a moment that it's not. wasn't only about punishment at all, but it was an aspect of measure for measure. And for example, with the climax of the uh, killing of the firstborn, that is measure for measure because Hashem said that Israel is my firstborn. Right. That was the first message, the very first message that God sent to Pharaoh through Moshe was Israel's my firstborn. So you 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 strike at my firstborn, I strike at your firstborn, and there are many other examples. But um, this is an interesting idea that, that we can all see on our own, that Hashem punishes through the, through the same thing. Uh, so on that simple level, we can look at the plagues as a punishment for what they did to Israel, but that's not their only function. And they're also called, the plagues are called wonders, right? Hashem says, my signs and my wonders that I, that I do in the land of, of, of Egypt. Now, if it was only about punishment, if the whole goal that Hashem had was that he wanted to punish the Egyptians, he could have done it through natural means. But the whole idea of a wonder is that a wonder is something exceptional. It's something supernature. It's above nature. So that already shows us that it wasn't only about punishment, because if he wanted to punish them, he could have done it through any, any means. But uh, why did he want to do it through something that was so exceptional, you know, wa- water turning uh, to blood? So... Um, this is um, this is an, another another uh, idea that that um, you know the, the in the groupings. So in the first group, you have you have water turned to blood. Okay, 
And then you have locusts, which is which could be seen as a natural blight. But the Torah says that I'm sorry, in the next group, the Torah says there there wasn't and there won't be another thing like this, right? So so these wonders have two functions. One, Hashem says, is for, is for Egypt and through Egypt to the to the whole world to show that he that he exists. And the second function is to Israel. Also, he, Hashem says to, t- to teach Israel about, to remember this for all time. And in, did you ever notice that in each of these three groupings, in the first two plagues, there's a warning, and in the last, there isn't? Right. I don't think right? I noticed you know, that until you mentioned it. Absolutely. No. The, for the, for the first two are, 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 a warning, are a warning. And then in the third one, Hashem just instructs Moshe to to uh, to carry it out as if like well you didn't listen the first two times so why would you listen the third time? Uh, yeah, and they're also uh, and this may come under the heading of the uh, the other aspect of these plagues these strikes is that they are uh, Hashem showing the Egyptians how he has power over their their own gods. Everyone how he is, has power in this world. In, in this, this world, world. This, is, right. this is exactly where I want to go. This is exactly yeah. where I want to go with this. Because, because back to the idea of the, of the groupings, um, I, I'm just mentioning as an aside that in each group, in the first two, there's a warning. In the third one, there isn't a warning. But, it, but in the first grouping, um, about, about that first grouping, Hashem says, through this, you will know that I am Hashem. Right? Mm-hmm. Through this, you'll know that I that I am uh, Hashem, and it's like again, these things could have been seen as 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 natural, like pumped up. And the second grouping is like is like um, an extension of the first because because the frogs came out of the water, right? So it's not only a water turning blood. So the the frogs come out of the water, go into your house, into your into your uh, oven bed, etc. And uh, and um, uh, when it comes to, for example, the the um, the wild beasts, Hashem says, "I will make a separation between you and my people. Tomorrow will be this sign." And here it says, "So that you'll know that I am Hashem in the land." Since so what, what I'm trying to say is, in the first group, it, it, what I'm trying to say is, Hashem through these three groupings is is um, led is making His name known gradually. On, a, on different levels. The first grouping is, okay, uh, I am Hashem. The second grouping is, I am Hashem in the midst of the land. And that, exp- is, that expresses his, his providence, his hashgacha, that he, is, that he is in control. Because it's one thing to, okay, maybe they'll say, okay, so we believe that there is, that there is a God, but it has nothing to do with this world. So the first group is, well, I am Hashem. The second group is, no, I am Hashem in the land. Yeah, yeah. And the other aspect of this is, you know, we, you talk, you touch briefly uh, on the idea of people's imaginations and and the idea of of these false gods. Th- this is this is bringing an awareness. For instance, the the plague of the locust is a strike against one of the major gods of the Egyptian pantheon called what the Greeks call him Osiris, and the Egyptians actually called him Osh-Wirush. And he was the protector of crops. And so this was a major. So what this is doing in essence is it's not only showing that there is a God of gods who rules the world and created the world. God, in essence, is saying to the Egyptians, your gods just don't really exist. 
because because exactly this is the whole idea of the second group of of, of plagues where Hashem says I am Hashem in the midst of the land because it's the opposite of a philosophy who might believe in a god but is not involved mm-hmm. or, or or who doesn't have or who doesn't have power or they're or they're they're always like uh, at odds with each other and they're and they're always at conflict and it's basically well uh, anything you can do I can do better which was which was again the whole idea of of Pharaoh bringing out his conjurers thinking, oh, you can do that, I can do that too, because this is what we spoke about last week in, in our video, the, the whole idea of, of Pharaoh just thinking that all you're doing is just putting on putting on a show. Well, I can do that too, because if it's just about bending bending reality and showing an illusion, I can do an illusion too, because, because Pharaoh not realizing that, no, that, that Hashem is actually changing reality because he is reality and he yeah. can do whatever he pleases. Amen, yeah. But in the, but in the third group, Okay, in the third group, that's where Hashem showed the distinction between Israel and Egypt. Now, it, it, like a person could say, okay, uh, there's a huge plague here. It's natural. It happens. Uh, water turns to blood. There's, there, there's, there's, there's locusts. It's a, it's a plague. It's a natural disaster, and it affects everyone. But when it affects one particular um, population, and not another, where Hashem says, this is not going to be in the land of Goshen, where my people are. That's the, that's the next level, right? This, this, the second level after the first level, that I'm, I'm trying to keep it straight. After the first level of Hashem saying that I, I exist altogether, the second level was, was um, I'm Hashem in the land and showing things that about which it says there never was a, something like this and there never will be again. And then this idea of... of um, the differentiation, Hashem showing differentiation between the flocks. So that also is this idea of showing that of, of Hashem showing this none like me in the land, right? And, and, and saying, this is like something that your fathers didn't see, that, that, that there never was in the land of Egypt, there never will be again. And then again, in the, in the, in the third group with darkness, no, no warning, right? And again, differentiation between between Egypt and Israel. The verse telling us that in all of Israel's dwellings there was there was light. And then the tenth plague, which seals them all, is completely unique for a different reason. Because in all of the first nine strikes, in which there might certainly have been loss of life, the Torah doesn't tell us about about the, da- the collateral damage that was caused. But that wasn't its that wasn't its uh, aim. But in the but the third but the tenth plague was. Uh, set against nefesh, against the aspect of Hashem, of, of the Egyptians' lives themselves, of the firstborn's lives. So that is was completely unique. And that was basically uh, the biggest notification of, of, of his name, that there's no one like him. Amen. And that was the end game, the end game all the time. And, and in fact, if you go back to the beginning of, of Exodus, Hashem already told Moshe about the, the 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 killing of the firstborn in the very beginning, and so and so that was the plan all along. So why why did we go through all these circuitous uh, detours of of and taking so long? This is like over the course of a year, like all of these different makot. When actually, that's what broke the camel's back, as it were, and that was what what changed uh, Pharaoh's mind. And Hashem knew that all along, and yeah. that was his end game. His end game, but the so so you 
you and he could have gone straight to that. He could have done anything. He didn't. He didn't need any of this to take the children of Israel out of Egypt. It's all. It's all a pageant. And the whole idea that these verses are showing us is that it was a a plan to change the attitude of the whole world for all time about the existence of God. And that's why, again, this is such a central theme of Torah, why it's so, so oft repeated and why it's such a positive commandment to recall all the time and why, it, and not only for, for Egypt and through Egypt to teach the whole world, but also for Israel themselves to understand this is the beginning of everything, the beginning of everything. It's, it's like we always, we always talk about how Torah teaches us that Am Yisrael, the people of Israel, were born at the exodus from Egypt. That's like walking through the sea is like the birth canal. Walking through the sea was like literally being born. Indeed. And, 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 yeah. and then, you know, receiving Torah at Sinai was the completion of, of the covenant. But this is the beginning of everything now. And so it couldn't have happened without the Egyptian experience. And this is something I also want to mention, because we've always talked about how the fact that, you know, the, the hardship and the, and the servitude and the difficulties of Egypt were, as the sages refer to, the smelting pot as it were the, 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 refine, the furnace of refinement uh, that Israel had to go through in order to, to, to really separate the chaff in order, to, in, order to, in order to polish their attributes and in order to, to, uh, to rise to the occasion. I mean, this is a well-known idea that it's, it's, it's uh, opposition and, and, and it's difficulty that makes a person shine, yeah. right? But, but, but the amazing thing about how all of this happens in, in, uh, in the land of Egypt of all places, it begins to really uh, re reveal itself in the beginning of chapter 12, because out of nowhere, in the midst of the whole narrative of, of the, um, the killing of the firstborn, all of a sudden we find Rosh Chodesh Nisan, we find the very first commandment that Israel was given as a nation collectively was while they were yet in Egypt. And it was, this month shall be for you, the beginning of the months, it shall be for you, the first month of the year, referring, of course, to, to Nisan, and in general to the whole concept of the sanctification of the new moon, which in itself is so powerful, the whole idea of what it teaches us, because, you know, it's the whole idea of the very opposite of everything that Egypt represents, which is the slave mentality, which is exile, which is the hamster wheel, which is hopelessness, which is dystopian, which is giving, giving up on everything. And the whole idea of what Rosh Chodesh, the sanctification of the new moon and the renewal of time teaches us is that we are free because we are not slaves of time, because we are not trapped in hopelessness. And more than that, Hashem gives over to the Beit Din the power to establish the calendar, the power to establish the new moon that Hashem wants us to be masters of time, not slaves mm -hmm. to time. But, but, I, but what I wanted to point out, which is the most important thing of all, is the, so I'm saying structurally, the Parsha is just phenomenal because all of a sudden, in the midst of, of Egypt, in the midst of everything that's going on, it's, it's like the night before they, the, 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 the nation leaves, and God gives them the first recorded commandment. And the whole point of Torah, it's the first Rashi in Breshit. The first Rashi in Breshit mentions that the book of, of, of Torah is a book of guidance of how we should be living our lives. And the very first commandment that was given to the, to the people as a nation is this one here yeah. in, in chapter 12. But what did I, I'm, I'm done. But what I want to say 
the unbelievable verse says, Hashem said, it's verse uh, 1, chapter 12, Hashem said to Moshe and Aaron, in the land of Egypt, saying, this month shall be for you the beginning of the month, it shall be for you the first of the months of the year. It's the only time where we ever have such a, such a descriptor that Torah is going out of its way to say to us, this commandment, which is so huge and so powerful and so significant because it basically calls upon us to be masters of time, to be liberated from the, the cycle of hopelessness and despair that is caused by feeling that you're a useless slave of time. That, that What is Hashem saying? It was given in the midst of, the, of that very place, in the midst of the darkness. It was given in the land of Egypt, which is just so incredible. Yeah. The, when you track the plagues, Rabbi, and you look at the gods that are that are uh, destroyed along the way, and what each represents, and we get all the way back to the plague of darkness, which was against the the Egyptian god Ra, who who was personified as the sun. So you have the plague of darkness, and it's like it's like Hashem's great reset to 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 borrow a phrase in that he goes back through time and takes us all the way back to creation the, and the giving of light and then what is and and then with the giving of the calendar he th this is like we go from let there be light to the what is the thing what is the thing that that Hashem did that that brought the material world into being he created time so that's the that's the last and final touch of of this judgment of these strikes god sort of upended that's it the unbelievable thing jim i don't i don't know what you mean by that but that's the amazing thing is that yes in a sense he created time and, and because back there in the genesis narrative it talks about how we created the great luminaries mm -hmm. for for measuring the seasons but honestly and I, and I know this is a, a just a, a remarkable thought for a lot of people to consider. Honestly, this moment right now in our Torah portion, in, in, in verse one of chapter 12 of the book of Exodus, that's the creation of time. Amen. That's the creation yeah. of time. And this is so deep because, because this is because this is how I like to put it. This is the, okay, Hashem created the seasons. It's back in it's back in the beginning of Genesis. He created the luminaries. But there was no recorded time. This is the beginning of, rec of the recording of time because, because um, and that's why it's like the creation of time itself because Hashem is giving Israel the responsibility for keeping track of the time. Hashem himself is above time. And time is, 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 is a tool for man's ability to grab hold of the moment and to, and to connect with Hashem. It's all about man's, man's marking of time. But through this mitzvah that Hashem is giving them now, He's basically commanding Israel to administrate time and to be masters of time, open your heart in the deepest way ever, as opposed to letting time be our master. Right. That, that is just an unbelievable thing. Hashem is commanding us to be in, in charge of time and not to be a victim. And, and, and where was that given? Where was this mitzvah given, this most important thing in the world that you should, you should be liberated from the chains of being slaves to time, it was given in the heart of darkness, in the in the in the slavery dominated land of Egypt. That's where Hashem said, you know, <clears throat> this would be the first of the months. It had to be given in Egypt. Yeah. Yeah. Again, this is this is this is a startling narrative that is passed in front of us as we read these these uh, Torah parshas, is is how God uh, basically 
each of these idols has fallen along the way and proven to be false. And he's saying they're not real. I am real. And we get to the, we get to the, the final reset. And that is that, that is the, the Hebrew calendar. And it's because every, and it really does demonstrate the position of the people of Israel and their destiny as a priesthood over the planet is that Hashem would bestow that, uh, if you will, that power to them right there. And you know, Rabbi, it's, I, I, I can't help but mention that, again, we, we have archaeological sources that attest to these plagues. We, we mentioned the ones last week about the, um, the inscription in the tomb of Seti that talks about the celestial cow and, and these plagues of blood that are mentioned and even replicating the, the, the magicians trying to replicate the plague of blood by pouring dye red dye excuse me <clears throat> red dye into the to the nile i mean this is documented on the tomb walls and even the plague of darkness is alluded to and if we go back again to a familiar document that our our listeners have have heard us talk about is the the so-called epor papyrus and it is very specific in in mentioning uh, the the some of the plagues that we that we just talked about we just had the plague of, of locusts and uh, how there wasn't any green thing left, and the Ipur papyrus is lamenting. Uh, from an Egyptian point of view, uh, Ipur were this priest, this Egyptian priest writes, forsooth, no fruits or herbs are found, forsooth, grain has perished on every side. And the even the death of the firstborn is alluded to in several passages in Ipur. For instance, uh, many men are dead and buried in the river. The stream has become a tomb and a place of oh, involvement. Uh, the children of princes are dashed against the walls. The uh, offspring of nobility are laid on high ground. And it names a God here. It says, Hunam groans because of his weariness. Hunam was the God of life in, in Egypt. And this, this, this priest, this Egyptian priest, even invokes that name when he talks about this, this plague that he's writing about that sounds just like the, the the plague of the firstborn. Another one says the residence is overturned in a minute. And it says when the plague of the firstborn, the death of the firstborn, it began, it, uh, it just, it happened immediately. I believe at midnight, wasn't it? That it happened in the land of Egypt. And uh, it mentions a brother, uh, a brother stands while his, his other brother is taken away immediately. And not to forget, I think it's Rashi that mentions to us that the plague of the firstborn was also carried out by a civil war that broke out between the Egyptian royalty and their sons. And because the sons went to the, 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 the leaders in the court of Pharaoh, the generals and the princes, and said, you need to let this, these people go because look at all these nine plagues. Look at the reality of this. If you don't let them go, we, as your firstborn, are going to die. And of course, the leadership around Pharaoh said, no, we're not going to let them go. And he has the final word. And Rashi, uh, quoting another uh, scripture, says it's alluding to a civil war that broke out where the firstborn went to battle in the streets against their fathers. And I mentioned that because in, in Ipur, it says a man 
looks upon his own son as his enemy. Hmm. And then I'm, I'm going to quote one more that I probably have read every time we come to this, this Parsha, and that is one of my favorite verses in both Epawar and in, in Shemot is uh, Moshe tells the children of Israel, go to your neighbors and borrow from them the, their gold and their silver and their finest clothing. And it says that uh, Israel spoiled Egypt, basically got their, their, their back wages, if, if you will. So in Ippur, it says, in Exodus, in Shemot, it says, the Israelites did, as Moses said, they requested gold and silver articles and clothing from the Egyptians. And in Ippur, it says, gold, bluestone, silver, malachite, cornelian, bronze, yebet stone are fastened to the necks of female slaves. Forsooth, a poor man has become the owner of good things. He who could not make his own sandals is now the possessor of rich things. And but behold, wow. the poor, the poor of the land have become rich, and the possessor of property has become one who has nothing. That's right there from the Egyptian text themselves. Amazing. Absolutely amazing, Jim. I guess it happened. I guess it really happened. But to take it back to, to us today, though, which is the most important thing of all when it comes to Torah study and Torah life and Torah living, because it's real and it's Hashem's will that is alive. So I'm saying this first national commandment, having been given in the land of, of, uh, of Egypt, um, and this whole, this whole idea of sanctifying time, which is so central to, to our observance and to our lives. And it's so, it makes life full of possibility. It makes life, uh, you know, um, it, makes, uh, it, it makes us able to fulfill our potential, right? Uh, what is the expression even? How do you spend your time, spending time, right? It's, it's, a, it's like a, time is a commodity. It's a chilling expression, I think, right? Spending time, like spending money because we use it up. And so what, how are we spending it? Are we spending it wisely or not? So Rosh Chodesh represents the idea of grabbing hold of, of ourselves and, 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 and it teaches us about time and, and it means, and everything about it, everything about our relationship with time, according to this verse, is the opposite of what Egypt was all about. But don't forget, Egypt is called Mitzrayim, which means a narrow place, because this, the slave mentality of Egypt is all tired, one-dimensional staleness it's a mental prison. It's a mental prison, and that's what we were up against, and why we had to get out so badly. And in every exile situation today, as well, whether it's national or individual, whether it's physical or spiritual, there's this gravitational pull into despair, which is the very, the very biggest danger. And I got to tell you, if I may take it back to today, Jim, I feel that after two years of uncertainty and uh, everything that people are going through with no end in sight. This is exactly what what we're facing now in terms of this idea that uh, people are plunging into a certain kind of listless, you know, um, hopelessness. Yeah. So many people tell me. So many people tell me, and that's that's the purpose of life is for us to renew ourselves every single day, and that's what Hashem's shake up here was supposed to demonstrate that, that Hashem is the only. Um, maestro orchestrating the universe. Well, Rabbi, I think it's it's important to point out to our faithful listeners, and even some of the the new ones who have joined us, is that you know 
I can testify to the fact that these past two years of this plague that we have all had to experience globally is that thanks to Torah, and I know our listeners feel this way, thanks to Torah, there has, there has remained light in, in our households. We, we have hope. We, have, we, we, we look to that light of, of Torah, and it's, it's, it's gotten my family through all of this where we don't despair and we, we don't lose hope. And I, I think that uh, we're going to, we're going to see it all come. We're going to come out better on the other side. That, you know? that is the secret, the secret of, of, of our constant exodus from Egypt, the narrow place, which needs to happen every day. And this is why, this is one reason why it's a commandment for us to remember it all the time. I mentioned going out of Egypt every day of our lives, because uh, this is what we need to do all the time. And just like Hashem did it for us then, he does it for us now because he renews all of creation every day, which is not what you're supposed to be thinking. You're supposed to be thinking, oh, woe is me. That's why, that's why the world is the way it is right now, because there is something going on and it has to do with keeping people busy. It has to do with control of the narrative and it has to do with keeping people afraid. And, and it's amazing 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 what's what's going on and that's the whole idea about that that what pharaoh was counting on because because uh he was the originator of this kind of like hopeless slave mentality because he made sure that the world that he was creating was a world without god and in, and in a world in which god's uh existence is denied there can't be any change ever and, and, and so what, what was Pharaoh, everything that we've learned about him now for over the past few weeks, right? What was he? How could you, how could you sum up his, his essence in a couple of words? Okay. Narcissism, arrogance, and control. Right. Exploitation and manipulation. <laughs> it's like, that's, that's what you need to get into office today. Yeah. And, 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 you know, Pharaoh's like, who needs Hashem? I don't know him. I'm throwing a party and he's not invited, you know, and that's, that's the whole, the, that, that, by the way, we keep mentioning these amazing verses in Ezekiel where, um, where, where Hashem you know, tells the prophet and, uh, to, to turn his face towards Pharaoh in the 10th month, um, in the 10th year, in the 10th year, in the 10th month, on the 12th of the month, the word of Hashem came to me saying, son of man, direct your face towards Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and prophesy concerning him and concerning all of Egypt. Speak and say, thus said Hashem Elohim, behold, I am against you, Pharaoh, king of Egypt, the great serpent that crouches within its rivers, who says the river is mine and I have made it myself. I mentioned this a few times, but I want to emphasize something else about that verse. The amazing thing, thus said Hashem Elohim, behold, I am against you. Pharaoh, king of Egypt, but in Hebrew, it's Hinani Alecha. And you know that those words Hinani Alecha literally mean, I am onto you. Mm -hmm. It's like Hashem is saying to Pharaoh, I know exactly who you are. You might go down to the river in the morning to take care of business, but I'm onto you. I'm onto you. And, the, and I hope and pray and believe very firmly that the day is coming that Hashem is going to say this to all the manipulative leaders that are the kings of denial and, f and fear, I'm on to you because uh, they all say, I created the Nile. They're all, mm -hmm. the, they're, they're all the big serpent, right? And it's, it's, it's so 
on time and it's so everything that we're saying, I don't, I don't have any sort of, um, you know, feeling of, of hopelessness or despair when I look at, when I look at the evil that's going on in the world. And I'm totally aware, probably more than many, many more people of the, of the evil that's going on in, in ways that, that, that uh, other people may not be aware of, but you know what, in the, in the time of exile, the truth is most concealed and it's, it's very hidden by people that deny Hashem's uh, rule but the idea is that it doesn't it doesn't last forever and in order to be in order to to have the greatest revelation you have to first be in the greatest darkness but it's all about the, the this 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 plan of of sanctifying time of of escaping from this cycle of of uh, illusion 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 yeah. that's based on self-centeredness and denial and manipulation. And it's, it's and just like it came crashing down on Pharaoh. It's all going to come crashing down. Yeah. And Rabbi, the other thing we shouldn't forget is if people don't believe we don't have this same um, aspect uh, running amok today. The, what, what is the meaning? What is one of the meanings of the word paro, pay, rech? Uh, it, the, the word can actually. This is the same. This is the same mouth that pay rec that that uh, spoke. Uh, you know, sort of led Egypt into right. bondage with its right. soft, this soft mouth. Seductively spoke. Seductively spoke com- with words of comfort and 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 uh, deception. Yeah, um, like a classic politician. Politician, exactly, exactly. So the other thing is that, uh, of course, what chapter 12 in our Parsha is all about after having introduced the concept of Rosh Chodesh Nisan is what takes place in this month of Nisan is the Passover offering. And the Passover offering also is the total uh, diametric opposite of everything that Egypt represents. Because again, in terms of the whole concept of the slave mentality and being a prisoner of fear and anxiety and hopelessness and despair, the Passover offering is Israel's rejection of idolatry, yeah, and Israel's and Israel's um, total, total um, covenantal uh, relationship with Hashem. And you know, when I speak to people uh, that claim to have knowledge of ancient Egypt, and and a lot of people tell me, well, the biblical narrative is is askew or something, or there's a, a problem here because people these people say to me. Uh, no, the, the the sheep was not worshipped in ancient Egypt. All right. How do you how do you wait? How do you, I, uh, there are people that tell me that the that the that this that the Bible's narrative is not is not um, true because there is no evidence that the the sheep was a god in ancient Egypt. Well, I don't know what you call a ram if it's not a sheep. It's that's exactly what it was. In fact, uh, Hunam it was a ram headed god. Okay. So you know, it, it's uh, it's no different than the. In fact, the the cow was worshipped, and also the the bull was worshipped. In fact, the orig- the first power of Egypt was was called the the uh, the heavenly bull. And so all these animals were worshipped. Remember, that's why that's why the Egyptians uh, uh, had such a low opinion of the children of Israel because they basically. Um, you know, they were, they were sheep herders and cattle raisers. And that to them was, was quote, disgusting. They called it. 
And so, yeah, I mean, every animal in, in Egypt was deified in some way, but especially, especially the, even uh, if you go to Dendera, there's a, I've, I've been down there. They, there is actually a, a horoscope on a ceiling in one of the, the remains of a temple there. And even though it doesn't go back to the period we're talking about, many Egyptologists will tell you that the, the so-called Zodiac had its beginnings in ancient Egypt and the ram, which is a sheep, of course, was one of the, was one of the main gods of, of, of ancient Egypt. So, yeah. And so it's very fitting that this, this final strike was the slaughtering of one of their mm -hmm. own, one of the animals that they deified. Mm -hmm. This is this unbelievable idea about how Hashem commands um, Moshe and, and Aaron speak to the entire assembly of Israel, saying, on the 10th of the month, they shall take for themselves each man, a lamb or kid for each father's house, a lamb or kid for the household. And they did this four days before the actual uh, slaughtering of the of the, yeah. of the of the passover and then the and then the the departure that night the night of the night of the seder the night of the eating of the of the passover it was brought into the home on the 10th of the month and this is what the sages talk about how this amazing scene this amazing powerful confrontation of the egyptians and don't forget this is after they've been through the past year of all of these all of these plagues and they're seeing the israelites grab this sheep, which is the object of their, of their worship, of their adoration, and they're taking it into the house. And they're saying, what are you doing? And, the, and they said to them with like holy audacity, the Israelites said to them, we're going to be slaughtering this at, at the command of Hashem. And the Egyptians were struck absolutely speechless. You know, one of they, the things, they, yeah, it, I was just say one of the things that, that uh, the sages tell us is that the death of the firstborn was you know with uh, apologies to Cecil B. DeMille, it wasn't a green mist that you know <laughs> that made its way through the streets of of ancient Egypt. It was a very violent event. It was it was seismic, and, and the sages suggest that there were earthquakes and that tombs split open, and even even the remains of Egypt's firstborn were were thrown out of the ground. And there is even and it affected everyone because it everyone. affected every single household. That's why that's why the verse tells us that there wasn't a household that there wasn't a cry because if there was no firstborn, if it was an elder daughter, in a in a house, the, the oldest boy was taken as the firstborn in every home. We have evidence from the archaeological realm that there was a site uh, that they excavated called Ras Shamra. It's on the Syrian coast. And it showed uh, great destruction caused by earthquakes and natural disasters. And the professor that was uh, the archaeologist uh, of record on the site, he was Professor Claude Schaefer of College de France, he said that he believes strongly that the evidence is that this cataclysm of earthquakes reached all the way down to Egypt during the Old Kingdom period, which, of course, is, is the period that we look at and we suggest is the time of the Exodus. So the the um, th this also goes along with this verse from the Ephraim papyrus that the uh, the children of princes are laid up on high ground. Again, I want to bring it all back home. I think that's so important all the time for for our listeners to understand that 
you know, there's so many different levels of Torah study and it's so, it's so beautiful and so inspiring and so important for us to understand the dimensions uh, of Hashem's Torah. But the most important thing of all in terms of our relationship with Hashem and in terms of our na- navigating through all the things that come our way in our time is for us to understand that this is timeless, that for us to understand that these lessons are, are being given to us because the Egyptian experience is now, it's in every generation. First, the verse that tells us about emphasizing this to the, to the children and about when, when your son asks you tomorrow, what is this all about? It's about the next generation. It's about um, teaching this and, and emphasizing that it's a constant, a constant cycle. It's a constant uh, idea. This is that the, the this whole idea is like a toolkit that's being given to us, and it's repeated so many times that we were slaves in Egypt because this is this is the antidote to the power of of fear and of control and of and of imagination that that the same powers that we are that we are uh, facing today. And the antidote, the, 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 the Torah's recipe for overcoming all of it is the same, is, is understanding that there's only Hashem in the world. And uh, the, the pivotal commandment of, of the sanctification of time was given in the land of Egypt. Here we are also in our own way, in, the, you know, in, in, in a situation of constriction, in a situation of darkness, and yet... The light of Hashem as creator of the world is coming through. And it's it's always uh, the same test. You know, it's always that we're pitted against those that are that are trying to foist upon us this slave mentality of hopelessness. And a person who is uh, who is a servant of Hashem, what do the sages tell us? Who is a truly free person? One who is subservient to Torah. One who really understands the the concept of Ein Od Milvado, that there's nothing in this world but Hashem, who brings forth all of creation constantly, understands that everything else is a sham. And that's that's really such a timeless lesson for us to understand now. Amen. Amen.